What is up, everybody? Welcome back into the FF Dynasty 260 podcast, the Dynasty edition. I know we've been off the air for a while, but we are back. Uh, we've had some other things going on, and we wanted to let the redraft guys make sure they got the focal uh, primary focus here for the in-season content. So now that we're getting into the off-season, we'll be back in your feed regularly. We're going to try to do about one episode a week. Uh, Jared is still out. Uh, dealing with some personal stuff. So I am your host tonight, Mark Leopold. You can find me on Twitter at Leopold NFL. And I have a special guest with me here to fill in Jared's void. Uh, we've got Ryan Whitfield. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield NE. Ryan is the co-host of the FB Garbage Time podcast that I've been on a couple of times. They do a great show over there. So go check them out as well. Ryan also does base data work for PFF and writes for CLNS Media. Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing well. Glad we uh, could finally make something work here. Excited to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming. I know we pushed a couple of times. Jared and I had very conflicting schedules, but glad to get you on the show, man. I know I've been on yours a few times, so glad to have you out here. Uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, we got a lot to cover since we've been off the air for a while, so a lot of stuff has happened since the last time we've been on the air. So I just want to start with what were your overall impressions of this year now that we're through the fantasy season, we're through most of the playoffs. We only got one game left that means anything. So what were your biggest takeaways here from 2018 uh, that you can apply moving forward in the dynasty context? Well, I mean, I, I think I, I speak for everyone when I say that I'm praying that next year's wide receiver class is not as disappointing as this year's was. Uh, we had, we had been spoiled by, by the last couple wide receiver class uh, coming into the NFL. And this year was, uh, was far from that. So, um, you know, I think I think a big thing that we can take away is that, um, you know, I think the return of the running back is here. I'm still as an NFL franchise not spending a first round pick on them, uh, but the the good young influx of of running backs that have come in the last couple years. Um, obviously, Barkley in the season he had this year on a, a team that was uh, pretty underwhelming from an NFL context, but you know, the fantasy season he had. Um, you know, those were really my big things. I think that we're seeing a little bit of smash mouth football back and, you know, to put into, into the terms of the game we're going into in two weeks, you know, I think that the running game is going to be a huge X factor in that game. And, you know, you have two teams that did draft running backs in the first round on that team, even if one, uh, one, one of theirs, you know, the better running back is actually a, a 30 year old uh, journeyman, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that would be my overall, uh, takes from the season. If I had to sum it up in a, in a short little stint. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with most of the things you said. Uh, for me, from a fantasy perspective, I think we learned that the late-round quarterback approach is still viable. I mean, you know, we saw our top three finishers this year being Pat Mahomes, Matt Ryan, and Ben Roethlisberger. I think we also saw that running back is, you know, as important, if not more important than ever for fantasy, but very unimportant as, you know, a lot of people have been pushing for the last few years in real football terms, uh, especially when you think about, you know, Kareem Hunt goes out and Damian Williams comes in. It's basically a one-for-one -one replacement. Le'Veon Bell goes out. James Conner is basically a one-for-one -one replacement. In terms of production, I know people will probably argue about talent level itself and how they contribute in various ways. But from a production standpoint, you know, those guys are giving their teams pretty much what the starter was giving them, if not more. So I think we saw that running back is pretty replaceable. Um, Wide receivers, I'm totally with you. You know, we need another good class here because it hasn't really been since 2014 that we've had a real star-studded class, and I think people have been riding those coattails for a while now. And you know, if we just want to talk about each position, I think the last thing I want to say is, you know, tight end, you either got to hit the early rounds, and in this case, if you didn't have Gronk this year, it was Travis Kelsey or Zach Ertz, or just totally wait. You know, get a guy later on. 
couple of guys we might talk about later, George Kittle, Jared Cook, there were some very viable fantasy tight ends that you could get for almost free, if not free, uh, season-long drafts. So I think some of those concepts can be applied to Dynasty as well. All right, so moving on here. Um, we talk a little bit about season law. I know we'll leave most of the stuff to the other guys that do the redraft podcast, but what were your biggest takeaways here in terms of redraft leagues, season long leagues for 2018 that you're going to apply next year? Yeah. So I'll touch on, you know, something that you just mentioned um, with the, the return of the late round viability of quarterbacks um, in two of the leagues that I won championships in this year. You know, I think, um, you know, going into last season, not not 2018, but 2017, you know, was coming off of uh, we were, we'd seen a huge year for Matt Ryan, and I think the regression was predictable. We saw that, and then people almost gave up on Matt Ryan going into this year. As you noted, he finished as a QB2, um, and in the two leagues I drafted him in, I, like I said, I, I pretty much rode him to a championship uh, for the production I got on a guy that I drafted. I believe in one league in the the 10th round and the other re- league was uh, a little, I think it was a 10 team league. So I got him like in the 12th round. Um, but you know, just the quarterback late round strategy. I think there's more good quarterbacks, especially from a fantasy perspective in the league um, than, than ever this year, or, you know, right now, I think it's a really strong quarterback league. Um, so that was, that was, you know, a, a strategy I'm going to apply going forward. Um, and then to kind of echo, you know, what you said on, as far as tight ends, um, you know, now more than ever, there's just not, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys at the top and then other than that, you're, you're better off holding off till the very end and taking a late round flyer and building your team out otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree there. Uh, quarterback and tight end, those are pretty much my exact thoughts on this year. And for running back, I think what I really learned is running back is even more important than it has been, or at least than I have treated it in the last few years. You really can't, I think, get out of the last or the first two rounds without one of those workhorses because they just give you such a significant edge in terms of how safe their volume is and how many touches they will actually see over like a fifth, sixth round running back. So it's hard to go zero RB. And I think we're probably going to start to see people do kind of a modified zero RB uh, that I've heard talked about on various platforms this year is that you take one running back early and then, you know, three or four wide receivers, tight ends in a row, and then don't hit running back again until later on. But I think you really need at least one workhorse, And as far as wide receivers go, the biggest takeaway for me this year is that volume isn't everything. So I had a lot of guys on teams like Corey Davis, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Amari Cooper, just because I thought they were going to get more targets than their ADP was suggesting. And Amari Cooper didn't really work out in that way, but Kelvin Benjamin is the number one, didn't get as much volume. And even when he got targeted, he didn't do anything with it. Corey Davis didn't do very much. And even some of the guys like Larry Fitzgerald had a down year just because of quarterback play. And so we saw some of these teams that have either inconsistent or quarterbacks having a down year, even in Mariota's case, injuries uh, that were just depressing the entire passing game. So I think there are more factors that go into it. And so when you see one of these unsexy guys like Kelvin Benjamin, you think, yeah, he's probably going to get over 100 targets. So that's worth something. My takeaway is that it's really not in all cases. And you got to consider other factors as well. Yeah, I agree with that. And the one thing I would add that kind of came to me while you were talking was, um, you know, especially if it's not offensive minded going, uh, a guy going to a situation that to be very wary of, uh, you know, the, the coaching changes on a team, uh, the, the classic point from their case from this year that I think we can all take away is David Johnson was hands down a top four pick. 
um, and most every single league. And I think that we all, myself included, really under underestimated what a disaster that coaching staff was going to be and the way he was used. And he had a decent second half of the year once they got rid of McCoy. Um, but McCoy did enough to sink him in those first couple of weeks that it really sucked to be a David Johnson owner. So, you know, look, you're, you're going to, you're going to, you know, you can't be a chooser late rounds, but at the, at the top of a draft, you got to be picking stability. And, you know, I think Le'Veon Bell would speak to that too. That's just, if you have a top four pick, you got to take a surefire guy. Um, and while the, the high end production could have been there from those guys, you'd have been better off taking Camara. You'd have been better off taking DeAndre Hopkins um, or, or someone of that like. Yeah, I mean, you could even go down as far as Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, who were going north, a two-three turn. But those guys, you knew exactly what you were getting, and there was there was very little uncertainty. Uh, but you're right, Camara should have definitely been picked over DJ in hindsight. I think another guy that fits that mold is LaShawn McCoy. He was going to be the workhorse. He got a ton of volume, and just it didn't matter because the offense was so bad. So that's another takeaway I think is the offenses matter a whole lot for running back value. Absolutely agree. Cool. All right, so let's move on here. We got a lot still to cover. So um, just you know, kind of back to our lessons learned here. Who were your biggest hits of 2018, uh, either high or low? You know, guys that you thought would outperform or underperform that you hit, and why? Obviously, the processes I think is what's more important here. So let's start at quarterback. Who who did you hit on, either high or low, and why? Yeah. So I mean, I, I touched on the last segment, and I'll, I'll just stick with with him for now because um, I quite honestly missed. <laughs> I missed on a lot of quarterbacks this year, but yeah. a couple of leagues I took Matt Ryan and uh, those yeah. were, those are good picks. And again, it's just, you know, when you look at a guy, I think, especially a guy like Matt Ryan trends matter. Um, and he, he does seem to volley back and forth between really good years and really bad years. Um, so when he's coming off a bad year, ride that I'll probably be much lower on Matt Ryan after this year. Cause I think he's going to, you know, I'll, I'll play the regression on that. They're a high powered offense, you know, obviously as Julio Jones, He's always going to put up decent numbers, but, um, you know, I think especially with the, the top two finish, he'll go a little higher next year. So last that, last year he was being, I mean, again, I was getting him mid, you know, late mid rounds. I was able to get him and really build out teams with, you know, a tight end and three, three or four running backs and three or four receivers before I even had to even think about where I was going for quarterback. Cause I, I just kept watching Matt Ryan sit there. So, um, he was, he was hands down my biggest hit on, uh, on uh, quarterback this year. Yeah, that's a good call. Another guy that I'm thinking about in that mold next year is Jameis Winston because of his up and down year, but Fitzpatrick's a free agent. So it looks like it's going to be his job and that's going to be a very pass happy team, especially with good weapons. Uh, I think for me, it was Andrew Luck, uh, mostly just fading the injury. I mean, a lot of people were uncertain about that, but all signs really pointed towards him coming back, especially at his age, you know, with the injury he's had, we've seen some guys have similar injuries that were, discuss is potentially career threatening and you know most of the time they're just not modern medicine so amazing that it was more than likely that he would come back and you know I think people were kind of under underestimating how good he was before that injury and so we were getting a pretty significant discount on him and you know obviously he showed up I think he finished his QB6 and he threw a ton of touchdowns which is really I think what we can expect and the underrated aspect of Andrew Luck has always been his mobility where I don't think we saw quite as much this year but you know he's able to get out of the pocket and run so uh, if you can get Andrew Luck anywhere near where he was going this year, which seems unlikely to me, but you know he's he's a good value outside the top six if he falls there again next year. So I had a lot of him this year, and I, I think that worked out pretty well. So let's move on here, running back. Uh, who was your biggest hit on that, either high or low? And uh, you know what did you see going into it? So I'll keep this one high. Um, and it was there was only one league I was uh, 
it was almost torturous. I, I felt like this year more than ever to be in the top four because it was just such a toss-up between the four, um, going into it at least. And, and, and Elliot had a nice year, but the one league I was in the top four, I had a number one overall pick in a redraft league. It was actually my first time in this league, and I took Gurley and single-handedly won me matchups throughout the year. So, you know, this isn't uh, any uh, secret sauce, you know, answer for listeners. But if, uh, you know, if you do think back to a couple months ago, just, you know, the debate everyone was having over the four and two of them really, well, D- David Johnson wasn't a total loss. He did finish as an RB1, um, but obviously not a top four season, not top four fantasy overall, let alone his position. Yep. Um, and then obviously we all know what happened with Le'Veon Bell. So taking Gurley, number one overall, that was the same league that I paired with Matt Ryan later. Like I said, I won a championship. Uh, it was a bunch of writers that I know down in uh, the DC area. So I got to talk a, a lot of junk to them this year. So that was, uh, that was fun. And I really owe it a lot to, to Todd Gurley and being right on that pick there. Cause had I gone with one of the other two, you know, it could have, could have gone completely different. Yeah. I mean, I think the message is simple is just don't get too cute in the first round. You know, you can't afford to blow those picks. So. I think your reasoning is exactly right. You know, just just pick the guy you know what you're getting. Uh, I was going to say Marlon Mack for mine because I was high on him, but I wanted to have one low because I just realized all four were guys that I was higher on and it worked out. So I'm going to say Ronald Jones. Uh, he was a rookie that I was very low on. He stepped into what was pretty much the ideal situation for a running back there in Tampa that could have won the starting job right off the bat because he was really competing with Jaquiz Rogers and Peyton Barber and really nobody special, but – uh, he just was not a special college prospect from what I saw, and I did not like his usage. I didn't like how he was used in the passing game or lack thereof. And so he was just not a guy I was high on. I figured it might be a split with Peyton Barber, best case. So I was fading Ronald Jones, and you know, obviously we saw he didn't even get on the field for a while. And then when he did, it didn't really work out. So uh, I'm not sure where I really feel about him or how I feel about him yet moving forward. So I'm going to have to look look at some things in the off season. But I'm still pretty low on him, and I don't think I'll be buying anywhere so next one up here let's talk about wide receivers who was your biggest hit uh, at the wide receiver position so i'll go on one where i faded um and it was uh, alan robinson i think i owned one share of him going into the year and the team i owned him on was a team where i took a running back early and then the running backs all came off the board so i went three straight wide receivers and he was my nice. third wide receiver um you know because it just a, the injury concern, I, I feel like not enough people were talking in the preseason about he wasn't coming off of just a knee injury. He also had a knee injury two years prior to that. So this is a guy who struggled with knee injuries, was going to a completely different climate, a complete, you know, a completely new situation. Again, we're talking about stability. Um, it's one of the bigger lessons I learned over the last two years is how important that is. Um, so changing teams or coaches changing, that's, that's all, you know, when you're trying to there's no science, exact science to fantasy football or anything analytics like this, uh, but it's all predictive analytics, right? So when you add in a couple of variables like that, you know, you had a new coach there who we think we know what Nagy's going to do, but you don't really know yet until you see him in a head coach role. You have him going to a new division, new team, all of that guy who has a lot of injury issues. You have a young quarterback who I don't think is very good personally. I'm not a big Mitch Trubisky person. Um, so I was, I was very down on Allen Robinson. Again, if he's going to be your third receiver, you don't, you don't scoff at that, but, um, you know, there were drafts. I saw him going on teams as their, their, their first option or second option. And, and that to me was not going to be a successful strategy. And like I said, he finished wide receiver 40. So not, not overall blow away season for Allen Robinson. Yeah. He was one of my misses. So that's a good call there. Uh, I'm going to go with Tyler Lockett. I was high on him and 
not because of the touchdowns, which is really what made his season. So it's not really as much of a hit as I'd like, but he did end up finishing in the wide receiver two range. And, you know, he did see enough targets. So that that's really enough that I think it still paid off. And really it was, it was nothing fancy as Seattle doesn't have a good pass catching running back that they were going to have a lot of targets go to. They didn't have a real good tight end that they were going to throw a lot of targets to. And they didn't really have a strong third wide receiver entering the season. Uh, so it was really only Doug Baldwin who was established and Tyler Lockett who you had to figure was going to slot in in most of the snaps. So it was a pretty consolidated passing game, uh, even if it was relatively low volume. You know, it should have been enough volume and Russell Wilson's a strong quarterback. So I felt good about that. It did end up paying off, although not quite for all the same reasons that I was thinking it might. Uh, so, all right, so let's hit the last position here, tight end. Who was your biggest hit uh, for this year? So I wanted to get something a little deeper and a little bit more off the radar on this one. And I'll, I'll admit that I, uh, except, except, uh, except for best ball leagues on draft, I did not own a single share of this guy um, because I went on to the, the beer field fantasy podcast back in August, talked this guy up. And then he proceeded to get arrested for, I think it was a drunk driving like a couple of days later. And that was uh, nice. Chris, Chris Herndon of the New York jets who did finish tight end 16. Um, not overall, a huge year right away um, if, if you look at it. But if you look at it, I think he had 45 yards through his first uh, five games. He finished with 450 yards over the final 11 games and saw a rise in his targets. As, as Sam Darnold really took over that starting role, they developed a chemistry together. Um, and I think it's a really good indicator of, of a player that could be good after. Um, I did a lot of work on him. Um, when I was doing preseason evaluations last year, going into the draft or coming out of the draft, I watched a lot of his film. Um, he, to me, could be a comp of like a, a Charles Clay. I don't think he's one of the elite tight ends in fantasy football, um, but he he definitely has pass catching ability and some speed. A little bit smaller in frame, but um, is a guy that I was again. Had he not got that DB, I would have owned stock in him, but I didn't because I didn't want to take that risk. Um, he did pay off for me in best ball leagues. But uh, overall, just just happy. I, I you know I was able to evaluate that talent and saw it. So that's that's why I'm counting it as a hit for me. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, he was a guy that I covered doing some stuff for Fantasy Pros. So there's a stretch where I think it was four games in a row that he was either the Jets' leading receiver or had a touchdown or something. So very good season for him in the second half. I'm going to go with a guy who I actually think describes maybe what Chris Herndon might become is Jared Cook. Uh, and again, I was on him because I thought the Oakland passing game would be pretty well consolidated between Cooper and Cook because I just think Jordy Nelson was washed up. That was my opinion before the season, and they didn't really have a satellite back that they would funnel a lot of targets to. So I thought Jared Cook was going to be the second leading receiver on that team. Obviously, they trade Amari Cooper, so the landscape kind of changed a little bit. But he did end up finishing tight end five for half PPR, so that definitely worked out well. And you know, I think you can look at some of these guys and there's probably one or two like that every year where they're just going to get targets. And so even if you don't end up with a top five guy, you're going to get pretty decent and decently reliable production for a volatile position just by looking at one of those guys on an offense that doesn't have other options. Unfortunately, I thought Charles Clay was going to be a guy like that this year, but that, that one didn't work out. So I'm just going to stick with Jared Cook. So moving on here, um, nobody likes to talk about this, but obviously it's important to understand the process as well. So uh, biggest misses for this year, one at each position. Uh, but more importantly, what were you thinking that didn't pan out? You know, what are the takeaways from that and how can we avoid doing that in the future? So uh, who was your miss at quarterback? 
So I actually enjoy – this is one of my favorite things to do because I get to, to complain about players that pissed me off all year. Um, and I'll start it off with the you, – you mentioned a guy out of this offense earlier. Um, I am completely out on this Tennessee Titans offense for for here forward. Um, Marcus Mariota, I took the cheese, you know, read everything that – this was the this was the year he was really going to make the leap and he was going to really turn into to an elite quarterback. Um, and he finishes QB twenty three. He can't stay healthy. Um, I, I think there's some raw talent there. I just for whatever reason it just doesn't feel like he can consistently put it together. And now this is a second coaching staff. His passes per game still are you know typically in the low twenties. Um, which to me tells me that a lot of times that they just don't they don't trust him. Which means in practice they're seeing something that they don't like. So uh, I will not take the cheese on Marcus Mariota next preseason. I am staying away for for you know um, I was in a two quarterback league where I tried to try to go late with quarterbacks and tried to pair Marcus Mariota and Blake Bortles. I don't think I have to spell out how that season ended for me. Ooh, yeah, that's not good. Uh, he was actually the one I had too. Uh, so I'll say. I guess I'll go with Case Keenum. I mean, he wasn't a huge miss, I would say, but I was definitely higher on him than how he panned out. Um, I think, you know, the situation really just panned out well in Minnesota where he had a strong supporting cast and a good offense around him. And I would say more aggressive play calling. And so it allowed him to kind of free himself up a little bit. You know, he was super productive in college, so that shouldn't have really come as much of a surprise. Obviously, the talent's there to produce that when the situation's right. But in Denver, really, the situation just was not as good as I was giving him credit for. You know, I thought with DT and Sanders and Cortland Sutton coming in, even Deshaun Hamilton, who I liked, you know, I thought the supporting cast was stronger than they really panned out to be this year. And obviously, Sanders getting hurt didn't help. And Thomas getting traded maybe actually helped. But I think I overrated the situation on Case Keenum. And so part of that is, you know, changing landscape with bringing in a new quarterback. Um, so that goes to what you were saying as well as you got to know what you're getting. And so I bought, bought into the uncertainty a little bit more than I think I should have. So that's my lesson going forward is, you know, the certainty is definitely worth something. And if you're going to take a risk, it better be in the later rounds, which in this case he would have been uh, for super flex leagues, not for single quarterback, but you know, you want to have the certainty where you can. So, all right, moving on here. How about running back? Who was your biggest miss? My big miss was, was Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I've been on yeah. record uh, out of that draft class. I was I was a Dalvin Cook guy um, through two years. That's not pound out. So uh, <laughs> and Christian McCaffrey obviously had an unbelievable season. So I uh, I should have been higher on him. I think that his value is actually really, you know, not even just for his production, but his value this year was just really fair. Um, but I think I was kind of take hold on that one where I had uh, backed myself into I'm not a Christian McCaffrey guy and I let my uh, ego yeah. get the better of me. So I regret that one. Yeah, for me, it was um, James White and Rex Burkhead. Shocking that, you know, we misevaluated Patriots running backs here. But I just – I thought Rex Burkhead would be involved more. You know, I was team Evan Silva in that regard. He was all over Burkhead even more than I was. But I thought we'd see Rex Burkhead mixed in more just because he has such a versatile skill set. Uh, it really turned out to be the James White show. Uh, even when he was running the ball, he's usually been a satellite back, more used in the passing game. So, you know, he showed that he – can get it done in all phases this year. I definitely underrated James White and overrated Rex Burkhead's involvement in the offense. Uh, and then obviously Sony Michelle factored in, but I figured it would be more of a three-way split and less of a two-way split with Rex Burkhead being the odd man out. Uh, all right, so let's move on here. Wide receiver, who you got? So this is another guy that I, I'm, I am done taking the cheese on. I was 
Um, I was very out on Sammy Watkins and uh, let a lot of people talk me into him this year. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the the reports at a training camp were that this was an offense that finally understood how, to, understood how to use him. They were running reverses. They were lining up in the backfield. They understood his versatility. They were creative enough in Kansas City that they were going to really get him involved. Um, surprise, surprise, he's still soft and gets hurt all the time. Uh, so that's the downfall of him. And and the other thing, of, um, I remember at the time I saw a tweet that I wish I remember who said it was so that I could uh, um, so I could give them proper credit. But I think it's the most important thing to remember about Sammy Watkins. The guy said, and I should have followed his advice because I've been right there with him up until this year again. But he said, uh, you know, Sammy Watkins will forever be the guy that we hear about how good he looks when everyone's just wearing hat and shells. <laughs> and that is that is Sammy Watkins. He looks great in OTAs in training camp when you put the real pads on and get to play football. And and for the Kansas City, he had a fine year in real football, uh, but just not not valuable enough in, in fantasy. Uh, finished wide receiver sixty three. So um, you know, for me, that's uh, that's somebody that I that I whiffed on this year, and I promise will hopefully be the last time I whiff on him. Yeah, we can out there. We'll see. You know, next year he's coming back and some of their other receivers are moving on. So I can already see myself trying to talk talk myself into Sammy Watkins next year. But uh for me it was definitely Amari Cooper. I touched on it earlier, but I thought that was going to be a very consolidated passing attack. And I thought it was going to be better than it was. So I figured he'd just get peppered with targets and I figured that volume would make up for any inefficiency. Turns out I think it's the complete opposite. We saw once he moved to Dallas, he became more efficient. We saw the talent show through. And the targets did pick up, but when he was in Oakland, it was really, you know, he wasn't even getting the targets and they weren't deep enough targets and he wasn't getting targeted in the red zone. It was really just all pretty much exactly the opposite of what I was hoping for. So big miss on that one. And, you know, I think the takeaway is don't uh, underestimate how much a bad passing attack can destroy a wide receiver, even if we think they're talented. Uh, All right. Last position here, tight end. Who was your biggest miss of the year? I have a feeling we might have the same one. Yeah, so I, I don't know if we do because I have a personal vendetta against Eric Ebron. Okay. And so I uh, I was very adamant this year that he would not perform, and he finished his tight end four. So what do I know? Um, but, no, I just think that, uh, you know, he had a lot of – you know, I don't know that he had a great year more than it was, you know, just how down the position was. And, I, and that's me going to hold on to the take that he sucks for forever. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't touch it. I didn't have a single Eric Ebron – share and i remember one week specifically my son um he's eight years old so he just he he picks lineups on FanDuel with me in the morning on sunday and he begged me to play eric ebron and i said no and i think it was the week that he went off for three touchdowns and he is now he has not let me forget it so you know uh, i just continued to whip on him all season long we'll have to get your son on the podcast it sounds like apparently he knows a little more than i did i guess so yeah i was thinking we might have the same guy here because i said gronkowski uh figured as a fellow New England lover, you might have that as well, because I thought everything just set up, you know, with the receiving core in New England and uh, the lack of other options really besides Julian Edelman and even him being out to start the season. I thought it set up for Gronkowski to potentially have the best tight end season of all time, best of his career, you know, and then he just flopped. And, you know, I think it's probably more because he's getting over the hill than anything. So the takeaway I think here is obviously – you know, put some stock into the player's talent and how their bodies are holding up, especially as they age. And, you know, brace yourself for, you know, like the Calvin Johnson type fall off. Obviously he retired, but 
Uh, you know, when you see some of these older guys, we think it's coming for Julio Jones, but, you know, just be ready for it when, when some of these guys start to fall off later in their careers. All right, here, moving on. So uh, talking about dynasty valuation, people might be looking to make some trades this offseason. So I want to touch on risers and fallers and then maybe a little bit of, you know, are you buying them or selling them at their new value here? Uh, so biggest riser here at the quarterback position, I'm guessing we might have the same one here because I think there's a very obvious choice, but who's yours and are you buying or selling? So I tried to go a little bit off the radar again okay. on this one. So, um, but no, the guy I had was a guy that I think his season two years ago was a little overinflated just how poor it was. Um, but over the three years, he's finished top 10 all three times and that's Dak Prescott. Nice. Um, I don't think that, He's a high-end quarterback, but if you're subscribing to what we've talked about being the taking quarterbacks late, he's been a good enough quarterback. Um, I actually had a league where I had a really bad quarterback situation, and I was floundering, um, and Prescott was available, and I went and picked him up and then didn't lose again the rest of the season, not solely because of Prescott. I had some other health things go well, but my quarterback position now had been resolved at that point. So um, he has a real weapon in Amari Cooper, a young weapon unlike Des Bryant going forward. So this is a guy who I think stock is actually on the rise. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, well, you know, I don't, again, one of these guys that I separate that in real life, I don't love him. I don't think he's terrible, but <clears throat> I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> don't, don't die on me because we wow. don't edit it out. So yeah, die, everyone's going to hear. <clears throat> well, that's spit down the wrong. <laughs> um, but no, uh, <clears throat> man, Dak Prescott almost killed me. But no, uh, you know, I don't think he's—I uh, don't think he's elite in real life. But uh, in a fantasy perspective, again, the numbers are there. I believe it's—I uh, feel like I wrote these numbers down wrong. I wrote ten, six, and six for his finishes, but I think it's six, ten, and ten. But either way, he's been a top ten all three seasons um, of the last three years. So that's a guy that you know, and, and I'm buying on him right now, especially if I can get him low. Um, you know, that's—I'm I'm not making any trades for him and stuff, but. Um, I know, I know at least one dynasty league I'm in where it's a 12 team quarterback or 12 team league. And he is actually one of the guys sitting out there unbelievably. Oh yeah. He's definitely worth the pickup there, but I'm with you. And I wish I had the number in front of me, but so, since the Amari Cooper trade, you know, he finished something like quarterback five or six for the second half of the year after that trade. So things are definitely trending up. I love that call. You know, I, I thought we might have to say one here because Pat Mahomes is obviously the obvious choice. Uh, so I don't think we need to say much about it. Obviously, he came from outside the top 12 to quarterback one overall. So not much to say there. I think, honestly, though, I am selling if it's a one-quarterback league just because the position is so replaceable. And it, even if he's that valuable, it's hard to gain that much of an advantage just at the position with only one starting player, especially in a dynasty context where uh, you know, each team owns probably two, maybe three quarterbacks in that format. And Superflex, if you got him, I think you got to hold because you're going to be starting too. So that asset is significantly more valuable in a super flex format uh, or two, two quarterbacks as well. But uh, I think I'm selling in one quarterback and, you know, depending on the price, maybe trying to buy otherwise, but I think he's going to be pretty damn near impossible to get. So moving on to running back here, who's your biggest riser? Are you buying or selling? So my biggest riser was Nick Chubb. Um, okay. Nick Chubb finishes an RB 17 after getting five or less rush attempts in his first seven games. So that means he really had nine games to be the number one guy, which obviously coincides with the Carlos Hyde trade. Um, But what he did in that back half of that season can't be undersold. Um, What it did for that offense, you know, him and him and Mayfield's 
um, ascension here. So this is a guy who I think it only gets better next year. Uh, and he finishes an RB two this year in arguably half a season. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm buying every Nick Chubb, uh, you know, a bunch of leagues, you know, dynasty leagues, obviously, but even some keeper leagues where there's different keeper rules where certain, you know, getting certain guys that you're keeping that you picked up as free agencies, as free agents, there's less penalties and stuff. I went and scooped up every Nick Chubb, uh, you know, share I could get. And, you know, that's something I'm going to continue going into next year's draft. Yeah, I love that call. I'm all over Nick Chubb as well, and I think the biggest thing for me was seeing his receiving ability, so that that I think helped his value quite a bit. Uh, I had a, several here listed. McCaffrey, I think, is a big riser. He finished running back one overall in PPR. I think James Conner is a big riser because we saw he could step in and give you essentially Le'Veon Bell-level production. And I'm going to throw in one more, Damian Williams, uh, especially with the Kareem Hunt situation and Damian Williams coming on very strong late in the season in the playoffs in particular. I think he's starting to get a hold on that, you know, full-time workhorse job for Kansas City next year. And assuming they don't move, make any moves at the position in the offseason, Damian Williams could be, you know, in that running back one group next year if he is their starter. So I think his dynasty value has shot up in the last few weeks in particular. And you know, I think he's got to be included in that discussion uh, with those other guys, McCaffrey and Connor, for obvious reasons. So moving on here to wide receiver, who's your biggest uh, – dynasty riser and are you buying or selling them yeah uh my my biggest riser is kiki um nice. in uh in houston he had five plus targets in five of the seven games he was healthy for this year um and he had double digit targets twice he produced that's a great offense he's the number two guy he's going to draw number two coverage there um so this is another guy that yeah he's on the rise and um you know depending on this is a guy that I would go kind of both ways on. I, I would buy him if I needed some wide receiver help because I think he's going to be productive. Uh, if I'm on a team where I I have him and, I, and I'm pretty set at wide receiver, I may look to move him just because I think those are all good indicators of what we're going to see out of him. However, it's a seven-game sample size. So it's really, you know, it's a little bit of a risky proposition. If, and I think he's a guy you could dangle out there and get somebody – uh, in a little more desperate of a position to to make a desperate move on. Um, so, you know, if, if I own – so he's – you know, it depends. If I don't have him, I'd probably be looking to buy him. If I had him, I'd probably be looking to shop him. Yeah, I mean, as with everything, it comes down to how your league mates value players and uh, your roster construction as well. So it's hard to give blanket advice, but I, I like all those thoughts. For me, uh, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, especially with what we've seen at the end of the year with Antonio Brown. Uh, if he leaves, Juju becomes the number one, and I think maybe we'll see him and James Washington. So that would be a very good situation for Juju to just vacuum up targets, even if he is seeing number one coverage. You know, we've seen that he can beat a lot of different cornerbacks in this league, and he's got a lot of routes in his arsenal, very talented player. So I like where he's headed. I think it's going to be tough to buy him, but, you know, if you can get him outside, like, the wide receiver one price range – I think he's worth trying to make an offer for. And I realize I didn't say what I'm doing with the running backs. Uh, try to buy CMC if you can get him at a, uh, any kind of discount. James Conner I'm buying because it looks like he's probably going to be starting there next year. And Damian Williams I'm also buying because I think he'll be starting in Kansas City next year. So uh, buying across the board for me on those risers. And last position here, who's your biggest riser at tight end? And you buying or selling? So this will be short and sweet because I already gave a nice long uh, response on this guy earlier. But um, I'm really in on Chris Herndon right now, nice. um, and I think he's he's a guy worth worth you know taking 
Um, I'm not really trading much for him, but again, he, he's a guy who finished tight end 16 who might be available out there. And he's a guy I could easily see finishing in, as a, as a tight end one and in the top 10 of tight ends next season. So, um, I'm scooping him up where I can, I'm not selling the farm for him, but, uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy I think is going to have a nice season next year. Yeah. I like that call. I like Chris Herndon a lot. Um, for me, I think George Kittle's the obvious choice for biggest riser. Uh, if you're looking at the top, you know, he's probably up in the top five startup tight ends, maybe top three, uh, depending on how people are looking at Gronk at this point. But I think he belongs there. And I think, uh, you know, his, his future looks bright because they're going to get Jimmy Garoppolo back and he's shown that he can get through with poor quarterback play and he's a yak monster. So I like where Kittle's headed. And uh, if you can get an offer for him, that's not, over the top, I think it's worth trying to buy. But at the same time, if there's somebody in your league and you own him and they'll give you a handful for him, obviously I think you have to, to sell. I never have any players off the table for the right offer. So, um, again, it just depends how your league mates value him. But I think his fair value is probably about that T3, 4 range uh, in overall dynasty players uh, for the tight end position. All right, last section here, uh, dynasty fallers. Um, are you buying or selling these guys after they've fallen? Uh, so we'll start out the quarterback position. Who's your biggest faller for this year, and what are you doing if you've got them? Well, this is a guy, again, I also mentioned earlier, his stock had uh, been been pumped up the last couple of years, and I think the Marcus Mariota yeah. uh, truth is out there now. Um, so I, I expect his draft stock to fall uh, far down next year. And because of that, I don't know how much you're going to get for him, especially because quarterbacks aren't going to bring in a lot of trade offers anyways. So you right. might as well you might as well hold them and, and try to try to make a, se- a you know a separate move to get somebody else, or hopefully you have another guy that's a riser, um, and you just you just cross your fingers and store him on the bench for now and hope that he eventually pans out. Yep, good call. I agree. And mine is Tom Brady. Uh, you know he's I think fallen off pretty considerably. If you look at his actual production this year, he was. I don't even remember where he finished, but about back end quarterback one, and he was being drafted higher than that. So especially considering his age in a dynasty context, I think he's well on his way down. And even if he comes back next year, I think you probably want to expect about the same production back end quarterback one is probably near his ceiling at this point, especially given that they don't have that many weapons around him. Most of their wide receivers are actually free agents this year. Josh Gordon is gone with the suspension and Gronkowski might retire. So that situation could look pretty poor next year. So I think what you want to do is wait, make sure he's coming back next year and then see if somebody will give you an offer for him. But I'm looking to sell if I can get value for Tom Brady. All right. So next position here, running back, who's your biggest faller of the year? What are you doing with them? Yeah. I mean, I think it's gotta be Jordan Howard for me. Um, you know, I know that I drafted him a couple leagues, and I, I didn't think his fall would be as precipitous, but it, it did, and it just doesn't look like he's the long-term answer now in Chicago. Um, splits time anyways, you know, and again, or at least for what I was, you know, drafting him for. Like you said, you need at least one bell cow guy. I thought, you know, I went into last year thinking he was one of those back-end bell cow guys you could get towards the end of the first round in that second turn. Um, again, would have been better off with Christian McCaffrey, obviously, but uh, – you know, so uh, I think I think his stock is, is going to be lower than it's ever been going into this year. With that said, there might be a couple, you know, Jordan Howard truthers out there who just think it was a down year and he'll bounce back um, next season. So I'd I'd look to move him, um, but uh, I'm certainly not. I'm I'm not one of those people, so I'm not buying on. I'm not even low. 
Yeah, I think your best bet is probably to wait till about training camp when we start to see puff pieces about how good he looks and how he's going to be more involved, and then you try to move him. But I'm out as well. Um, I think there are a couple obvious ones here we don't need to spend much time on. Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt falling for obvious reasons, and Sean McCoy falling for reasons that we've talked about with the Bills offense. Uh, so I'm going to hit Leonard Fournette here, I think, is a big faller. And for a couple of reasons, you know, we've seen him have an injury plague start to the season, which shouldn't really surprise anyone given his history. Uh, his rookie season was kind of a perfect storm fueled by a very, very strong Jags defense that put the offense in good situations. And so he was able to capitalize with a lot of touchdowns. Uh, but so we've seen when he plays, he's less effective this year. Uh, he's not especially active in the passing game. And the Jaguars offense is just not a good situation to be in. So I think Fournette's long-term outlook is, is probably about as bad as it's been for his entire career at this point. So I think he's, you know, definitely on the decline. I'm looking to sell if you can still get any kind of good value for him, because I just don't think the future is that bright. You know, I don't think he's a true bell cow where he's going to be active in the passing game, like a Le'Veon Bell, like a Todd Gurley, uh, like a Saquon Barkley. So I don't see that ceiling for him. He's going to have to be propelled by touchdowns. So I just don't want to count on that with an offense like the Jaguars. So I'm trying to sell Fournette if I can. And next position here, wide receivers. Who's your biggest faller? What are you doing with them if you go, if you own them? Yeah, so I mentioned this guy had an underwhelming season earlier. Um, that's Allen Robinson. I, <laughs> I'm a big Anthony Miller fan. Um, so I like him to, to really have a, an, an even bigger role next year. Um, so I just I don't see the role for for Allen Robinson going forward. Another guy that I'd be looking to get rid of again. If somebody in your league is willing to move him for dollars on the you know or for pennies on the dollar, I'd certainly take him as like my my third or fourth guy if I can get him for like a late round pick kind of deal. Um, you know, somebody or somebody's you know if I have again another position of strength that somebody's looking to get. Like I, I don't mind having Allen Robinson on my team, um, but if you're depending on him for wide receiver to you know. Look, let's not even talk about wide receiver one, but if you're, if you're expecting a wide receiver two year out of him next year, I just don't see it. Um, so I'd be looking to, to move on from him if you can. Yeah, that's fair. I own him in a couple of places, so I'm hoping he'll bounce back. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. So I, I definitely got to think about that one this off season. He was actually my guy too. So I'll say uh, Devin Funches is another guy that I have in a couple of leagues and uh, he's definitely on the decline. Carolina even stopped using him late in the season. If you look at his snap counts, he didn't play over 50% of the snaps in the last, I can't remember, five or six weeks. So his usage was going down. That's an obvious sign that they're planning to move on from him at the end of his contract. He is a, a free agent this year. So I'm definitely holding, uh, hoping he lands in a better situation because he has shown some talent both at the college and pr professional level. And I think he just landed in a bad situation with an inaccurate quarterback in Cam Newton. Obviously played his college ball at Michigan with a glorified running back throwing in passes. So we've never really seen, I think, Devin Funches a ceiling. And so for that reason, I'm trying to hold. And if somebody else out there owns him and is souring on him, I'm definitely sending out offers to try to acquire him because I don't think he'll be very expensive. And last position here, tight end. Uh, who do you got for your biggest faller and what are you doing about that? So <laughs> I had Gronk, but we've talked about him enough. So I'll <laughs> I had Gronk too. <laughs> Um, so I'll throw out a different name. Um, a guy that was really hyped going into the last year and where he finished um, was not terrible. But again, it was a really awful uh, year for tight ends. So my guy was Trey Burton because people talked him up like he'd be a top three uh, kind of tight end. Uh, nah, I, I forget. I don't have it in front of me. I believe he was like six or eighth or ninth, somewhere in the bottom five, you know, five to ten range. 
which was outside of what he thought. And again, the the stat I had heard at one point, you mentioned Jared Cook earlier. Jared Cook did have a good fantasy season. I, I had him in a couple leagues, um, but he did have like five different, five or six different games where he finished with like less than fifty yards total and like three receptions. So, you know, that just shows how bad that position was. So, if you're finishing behind that, that really speaks to you. So. Um, but I actually expect Trey Burton to bounce back a little bit. So this is a guy that I'm actually hoping a lot of people are souring on because now I think his value will be, you know, last year I think it was too much. Now I think it'll, it'll come, you know, the pendulum will swing the other way and he'll be, you know, people will be sour, more sour on him than they should. And so I think that's a good opportunity to go, to go try to grab him and see, see if, you know, you can get a little more look at it next year. Cause again, unless you have one of the top two or three guys, I mean, you're not really dealing from position of strength anyways. Yeah, I like that call. He could become a nice post-type sleeper this year. Uh, I actually had Gronk too, but I wrote down a backup because I figured we'd either touch on it before or you might have him. So I have Evan Ingram as my other guy. Um, after his rookie season where it was really just propelled by a ton of targets because everyone else on the team got hurt, essentially. Um, we expected some regression. I think the sharp players were kind of over that and drafting him more in the backhand tight end one range, but uh, pretty much just flopped this year and you know, I, I just don't see it moving forward given the construction of that offense because in his rookie season, he wasn't really competing for targets with anybody notable given the injuries on the team. And now he's got Odell and Sterling Shepard's back, and they've got Saquon Barkley in the mix who's going to vacuum up targets. And so he's maybe the fourth option on the team at this point rather than essentially the first in his rookie year. So definitely trending down. And I just don't really see the landscape of that offense changing in a way that benefits Ingram enough to make him worthwhile. So if, if there's still any kind of name brand recognition that people are buying into, I'd be looking to sell, but I just don't know how much you're going to get for him. So you might have to hold uh, and just kind of hope it bounces back or maybe hope they trade Odell or something like that. If he can't get any kind of good value. Uh, all right, so we've got a couple minutes left. I got one more question for you. If you're having a startup draft this offseason and you're the first overall pick, who are you taking? So for first, you know, first startup, I think you got to go Saquon Barkley right now um, for the longevity of what he's going to do. Um, I'm really tempted, and I don't know how many years he's got left, but if we've seen anything with running backs, it's it's following a heavy workload that their numbers go down and following a light workload that their numbers go up um, is, is a pretty correlating trend. And so with that said, Le'Veon Bell, depending on where he lands, could be a pretty nice fantasy player next year. After all the pain he caused everyone this year, he's going he's gonna to be fresh, provided he's stayed in football shape, which is which is uh, assuming a lot when you got anybody that's been in that Pittsburgh Steelers organization the last couple of years. But um, so I think the safe pick is, is Saquon Barkley. Um, but I'm going to have a really hard time staying away from Le'Veon Bell coming back in after a full year of no hits. Yeah, it is a fair point with Bell. I think for me, it's, it's Barkley and I don't think it's really that close in my mind just because you've got so many years more on his career left that you can project reasonably. And you know, you see him active in all phases of the game. He's going to get a ton of carries, but he's also, gonna, you know, he has games where he has 10 targets. So it's it's hard to say no to that, especially when you got, I don't even know, what, six years on Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, there's no guarantee he'll play that long. But the only thing really holding Barkley back, so to speak, is the offense. And once they move on from Eli, it seems like probably the only way to go is up. And he, uh, he had, you know, what was he, running back five or something this year. So, uh, I think the future is very bright for Barkley. There's very little not to like. So I think he's the clear 101 for me. 
But same reason for picking him over Gurley is, is mainly on the age, and he's going to give you similar production. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, Ryan, we got one minute left. If you have any final thoughts, otherwise we'll sign off here. No, I think uh, I think we pretty much covered it all. I think the big, the big, you know, important points we tried to drive home today were pick people in stable situations. Uh, said the guy who just said he's thinking about taking Le'Veon Bell next year first overall. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where he lands. That'll be interesting. But anyway, <laughs> Ryan, I want to thank you for coming on, man. It's great to get you on the show. You know, like I said, I've been on yours a couple of times, so I'm really glad we were able to get you on this show. I hope all the listeners here enjoyed the show, and you know, we'd obviously love to have you come back sometime. Uh, we'll have plenty of shows this off season, so. Hopefully we can get you back on sometime. But Brian, thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll get you back on the on, on our show too here soon. All right, guys. And as, as always, thank you for listening. You can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield NE. Find me on Twitter at Leopold NFL. Uh, hopefully we'll get Jared back before too long, but we'll be back in your feed soon, uh, rolling up some more shows this offseason. So stay tuned on the channel and uh, check out our work over at, on Twitter at FFD260 as well. Website FFDynasty260.com. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.